Would you go with me to John chapter 4? John chapter 4, verses 31 through 38 this morning. John chapter 4, as we continue in, in our study here in John's Gospel, and, and in John chapter 4, we arrive at verse 31 this morning. I'd like you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. If you brought your copy of God's Word, if you didn't, there are Bibles there in front of you, and I hope you'll, you'll open God's Word with us together this morning and look at the the Scriptures together as we go to verse 31 in chapter 4 of John's Gospel. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish His work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So as we come here to John's Gospel this morning in these verses 31-38, through the disciples had, had gone away into town to buy food. You remember that from our previous studies. They had gone away after their traveling. They and Jesus had been traveling by foot through the hottest part of the day. And they had stopped at the well where Jesus rested His weary body and he was parched, he was thirsty, he, he rested, and as he rested, there came a woman to the well and he asked for a, a drink of water and they got into a conversation and he shared with her the living water. And we come to our passage today and, and the woman has left the well and she has hurried off to town to tell the townspeople about this man, this man, Jesus, who, who had told her everything she ever did. And she goes to the people in town and she, she declares as, as if she doesn't know the answer with a question, could this be the Christ? Of course, Jesus had revealed Himself to her and told her very clearly that He was the Messiah. As we come to our passage today, the woman is gone, but yet the disciples had just arrived just as Jesus was finishing His conversation with her. And the disciples are here and they're trying to get Jesus to eat something, but Jesus' mind is elsewhere. He's not thinking about food for His body. What we see here in our passage, just as we saw back in verse 10, if you'll recall back in verse 10, is that Jesus is using something very familiar, something from the physical world, to point to something from the spiritual world. Something very familiar from the physical realm to explain something from the spiritual realm. And remember that back in verse 10, we saw Jesus telling the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. He uses water from the physical world to point to something from the spiritual world. Verse 10 is the, in verse 10 there, we see that image of a physical water that one would drink to to quench their thirst, and Jesus used that to picture living water, to to help her understand that the only way the thirst of her soul could be quenched was with the living water that He offered. 
And of course, we talked about that living water being the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And in the passage before us now, Jesus does a similar thing. He points to something else. He points, it's not water now, it's food. Well, those are two basic things, aren't they? I love how Jesus teaches with those basic elements. He's talking about water in one conversation. Here he's talking about food because his disciples bring this up and their concern for his his strength and his nourishment, and they're trying to get him to eat. And so Jesus points to the food for the body from the physical world to explain the, the food, the nourishment of soul from the spiritual world, the spiritual realm. Now there's one thing I want to note here as we start and we think about this passage together this morning, and I want to caution you that you don't read into this what's not here. Let's be careful that we don't read into this what isn't what isn't said by Jesus. Jesus is not teaching his disciples here that it's wrong to eat and take needed nourishment when there's ministry to do. Some might teach that, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying it's wrong to to stop and rest and take nourishment and and get the nourishment your bodies need. Of course, if you if you stop and think about it, God gave us bodies that need nourishment, right? I mean, could God have created us with bodies that didn't need nourishment? Certainly, He could have, and certainly we can last for a long time without food, not without water, but we can last a long time without food, right? God certainly could have made us in a way that, that didn't require constant nourishment, So it's obviously not wrong to set aside time to eat and take in the nourishment that your body needs. So Jesus isn't teaching that. Let's be careful we don't say, well, it's it's wrong to it's wrong to slow down and rest and take the needed nourishment we need. Certainly not. He made us that way. Um, We tire out, don't we? Um, Dave said he was tarred. Sometimes I say I'm tarred and fettered. Okay. Sometimes we're tarred and we're fettered, right? And we're just plain old tired and we are whipped and we need to stop and rest and recuperate and eat and and take in the needed nourishment, right? God gave us bodies that, that are made that way. But on the other hand, there's absolutely nothing wrong with forgetting to eat when you're being spiritually nourished. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being so caught up in the task at hand as you serve for God's glory that you forget a meal. Nothing wrong with that, right? So what was this food seen here in verse 3 that Jesus had that satisfied him so? That was so satisfying to him that he said, hey, I've got food you don't know about. I don't need your food. I'm, I'm not hungry. Well, the disciples certainly thought Jesus was talking about physical food. They thought someone might have brought him something to eat. And if the disciples didn't know about the food that Jesus was talking about, you know, I wonder this morning if it's possible that we may not know about the food that Jesus is talking about. It's very possible that we came here today, and as I read that passage, you looked and you you said, what in the world is that talking about? What's this food that Jesus is talking about here that 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 they don't have, that they were confused about and thought that maybe somebody might have come and fed him? What's going on in this passage as we as we come to this passage this morning? I think it's important for us to stop and think about the context. Think about the context. What's going on right before the disciples arrive with the food from town? Do you remember what's going on? And I've pointed to it already this morning. And remember, there's this exchange between Jesus and this woman 
at the well who's come with her water pot to get her daily supply of water. What's going on is that Jesus has just been revealing himself to this this very spiritually needy woman who's in desperate need of having her soul saved, and he's just been revealing himself to her as the Messiah. And so I think what he's talking about here in the spirit in the spiritual refreshment, as he's talking about the spiritual refreshment of soul, I think it's this this spiritual encouragement, this spiritual joy that that was his for having shared the gospel, shared himself that he was the Messiah, that he was God in human flesh, come to save sinners from their sin. I think it's this the spiritual joy that was his that he gained from sharing his love with her that she desperately needed. She was a woman who was desperately seeking to have her her life's soul's thirst quenched, right? I mean, he pointed to it gently. He said, um, bring your husband. And she said, I, I don't have a husband. He said, that's right. You've got five, and the one you've had five, and the one you have now isn't a husband, right? The man you're living with now is not your husband. She she was desperately seeking to have her the the the, the thirst of her soul quenched by all the things that she could gain in life, and she was coming up empty. And yet here's Jesus speaking to her about the living water, and he shared with her the living water. And I think she left there a new a new believer. I think she left there born again because she goes back to tell people in town the people that she never would have approached before to tell them to come with her, to go back to the well to see this man who told her everything she'd ever did. And so I think what we're talking about here when we think about this spiritual food that Jesus is pointing to, I think it's the spiritual refreshment that He enjoyed as He shared Himself with an unbeliever whose, whose eyes were open to the truth. I think we're... We're talking about here the spiritual refreshment of soul that Jesus enjoyed, this refreshment that was His because, because Jesus' heart ached for lost souls. You realize that? Jesus' heart longed to save sinners. It ached for lost souls. I mean, how could He think of refreshment for His body when there was this thirsty, lost soul that needed Salvation that needed the living water that He could give. I want you to think too of the joy that was His for giving a lost soul the living water. That is the nourishment, of course, that that refreshed His soul and made Him forget His meal. It was it was just what she needed. She needed not well water. She needed living water, right? Certainly, she needed water to sustain her her life on earth, but she needs eternal life more than anything else, just like you and I need eternal life more than anything else. And I think that Jesus was greatly joyed, overjoyed, exuberant that He was able to share this living water with this sinner, this woman in, in deep need. And so His joy fed His soul and made Him forget His physical hunger. There's a lesson there for us, I think, as we serve for the sake of the gospel. And I hope that's your heart's desire. If you're a child of God, I hope it is your heart's desire to serve your every day for the sake of the gospel, to make Jesus Christ known. And I think there's a lesson here for us. If we're serving for the sake of the gospel, for you and me, it's as the old chorus goes, 
There is joy in serving Jesus. You remember that one? There is joy in serving Jesus. Joy that triumphs over pain. You ever forget your pain? I know some of you have pain that's frequent or constant, right? You ever have a time when you just forget about your pain because you're so wrapped up in what you're doing? What about your hunger? You have hunger pangs, right? Your stomach starts growling, but do you ever get so wrapped up in what you're doing and all of a sudden you realize you've missed your lunch, right? There's nourishment of soul, and this is a wonderful reminder for us as we serve Christ. There is nourishment of soul when you share the living water that comes from salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nourishment of soul when you're sharing the love of Christ with needy people. And God expects for you to be nourished. He intends for you to be nourished spiritually, nourished of soul as you share the love of Christ with others. But I know that even as I say that, you might be thinking, well, how could this spiritual food have satisfied Jesus so sufficiently that he forgot to eat? How could this spiritual food satisfy his, his bodily hunger? We do tend to think that way, don't we? And what I mean is we do tend to put physical things ahead of spiritual things, don't we? I think sometimes we're guilty of that. Maybe often we're guilty of that. Is it possible that that we might be listening to the physical concerns in our life as more important than the spiritual concerns in our life. I hope that's not true of you. I hope that the reason you came this morning is because you knew that you needed spiritual food and you needed God's Word and you needed to hear, you needed to hear God's Word proclaimed and you needed to be with God's people worshiping together in song and in prayer and in Word. I hope it's your heart's desire to be fed spiritually and not to neglect your spiritual health. But is it possible? Is it possible that we often do that? We neglect the spiritual to, to the emphasis of the physical. Uh, we ought to be careful about that. I want you to note, though, that I'm not talking about going home and, and pitching all your medicine that the doctors prescribed for your ailments. I'm not talking about going home and saying, well, from now on, I'm going to emphasize the spiritual over the physical and I'm only going to eat one meal a day. I'm not talking about going home and saying, well, I've been in this exercise routine and it takes me 30 minutes a day and I think I'm going to stop doing that and start doing more spiritual things. That You might need to do that. I'm not suggesting you do that, though. I'm not suggesting that that. It's easy to get out of balance, though, isn't it? It's easy to emphasize the physical over the spiritual. And I think that's a challenge for us from Jesus' example here before us in the passage today. I'm not suggesting we go home and ditch everything that would, you know, take care of your bodies and, and, uh, and help you be healthy and strong for faithful service, but we need to have a balance, don't we? I am not suggesting that we disregard our physical health, right? Our physical needs. I'm not suggesting that at all, and that's not what Jesus is, is suggesting to his disciples, but, but I am suggesting that just as, as your body needs to be nourished, so does your soul. Your soul needs to be nourished, and just as your body needs daily nourishment, your soul needs daily nourishment. Jesus knew this. He had, he had spiritual nourishment from the opportunity of sharing the living water with a lost soul. And I think it's instructive to us that Jesus hungered for this spiritual food. He tells his disciples, I've got food that you don't know about. 
He hungered for this spiritual food, and he did because he had committed himself wholeheartedly to doing the work for which he had been sent. I want you to think about it with me as you look at verse 34 again. Jesus was undistracted in his work. He was undistracted in his labors. He told his disciples, verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, think back to when we looked at the conversation between the woman at the well and Jesus. Do you remember that conversation? Do you, do you recall any time during that conversation that Jesus brought back up his need for water? Remember how the conversation started with the woman at the well? He said, do you give me a drink? Would you fetch me some water, please? She had the, she had the pitcher, she had the pot, right? And, and the well was deep. She could retrieve the water. He could not. She had the, the implement to retrieve the water. And so he says, give me water, right? But at any point during the conversation, did he bring the water back up again? He turned the conversation from physical water to spiritual water, and he forgot about his thirst, right? How instructive, how challenging to us. How hungry, I wonder, how hungry are you spiritually? How thirsty are you spiritually? You know, when you truly hunger for spiritual food, I think then you're going to be satisfied by spiritual food. You might think, well, how can spiritual food satisfy my soul so much that I might even forget a meal because I'm I'm serving in some way to illuminate God's Word for someone who needs to hear the Gospel? How could I forget to eat? <laughs> well, I believe that when, when you truly hunger for spiritual food, you're going to be satisfied by spiritual food. I'm not suggesting that you're going to be able to go for weeks and weeks without eating. (laughs) I'm not suggesting that you're not going to have to pay attention to your doctor's orders, right? But I am suggesting that sometimes we overemphasize the physical to the neglect of the spiritual. And if we would give more effort, and maybe some of the effort that we give to the physical to the spiritual, we might find that we are more satisfied in life than we've ever been before. If you love to serve the Lord, I think you're going to be thoroughly refreshed when you're serving the Lord. If you love God's Word, I think you're going to be thoroughly refreshed as you read God's Word, as you take it in, as you yield yourself before it and humble yourself before God's Word. Oh, you may be physically exhausted by your service, by your ministry. I look back to the week that we just finished, and just like Dave said, he was tired, and I say I'm tired and fettered. You know, we, we're, we're tired, right? You get tired from faithfully, so you can, you can faithfully serve, and you can be tired afterwards. We're not superhuman, right? It's not, it's not like we're gonna serve until we've completely exhausted every hour of daylight, and we get to the end of the day, and we're not hungry, and we're not thirsty, and we're not tired. But it is possible in the midst of your ministry, in the midst of your serving, that you actually forget about those things until you're done, and then you go, wow, I'm famished. Wow, I'm thirsty. How did I forget those things? I say, ask those who gave their energy to serving in Vacation Bible School this past week. I I know a lot of you are exhausted from your faithful serving, and I praise God for you. But I also say that if you'll talk to those whose whose real joy was serving the Lord this past week, I think they'll tell you that they were spiritually nourished 
Yes, they may be physically exhausted, but they were spiritually enriched and spiritually nourished for having served for God's glory to give the gospel to young souls. So, so how, how might we also be nourished by this heavenly food? Remember, Jesus said, hey, I've got food you don't know about. How might we be nourished by that same food, that same kind of food that Jesus was nourished by? Well, I think the, the attitude of Christ is very instructive here. Look at verse 34 again. And I want you to note this. Do you see, do you see the humility of Christ before God the Father here in verse 34? Jesus says this, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. He didn't say, My food is to do My will and accomplish My work. He's talking about God the Father. He's in total submission to the Father. I think that's very instructive to us. You want to be nourished spiritually? You want to be enriched spiritually? I say, take a lesson from Jesus in this regard. Jesus' spiritual nature was such that He was ready to do what God the Father had sent Him to do. No matter what. Whatever it required. He was ready to do what God the Father required. He was totally humbled under God the Father. Jesus knew He was on a mission from the Father. That was His priority. And as Jesus obeyed the Father's will, He experienced this great soul satisfaction this great satisfaction of soul that was His because He was submitting to the Father's will, doing what the Father sent Him to accomplish, accomplishing His work. And I would just challenge and encourage you this morning that, that if you're a follower of Christ, do you realize that you too are sent from God to do His work? you realize that you're on a mission from God? If you're a believer today, you're on a mission from God to do His work? I'm not suggesting that you quit your job tomorrow. I'm suggesting that that is the work that God has you to do, and He has you doing it for His glory because He wants you to carry His gospel into the workplace where you're working. He wants you to carry His truth into the relationships with the people that you have in your neighborhood and in your family, wherever it is you do business, wherever it is you live. That's where God has you serving Him. You realize that if you're a follower of Christ, you too are sent from God, sent by God to do His work as you do your work, right? You realize that your work is to do the work of Him who sent you like it was Jesus. That, of course, means that you also must submit. We have trouble with that at times, don't we? We too have to submit to the Father's will. If, if you're a child of God, you need to take that lesson from Jesus and say, look, He, he submitted Himself. I, I must submit myself to the Father's will. But our human nature rebels against that, doesn't it? Our human nature rebels against submission. We don't quite like being told what to do or how to do it. and We don't like being corrected. Um, we know that, don't we? And we're so, we're so self-centered that we have a hard time submitting, but this is what's required of us as God's children, as followers of Christ. The very definition of a follower of Christ is one who submits to the Father's will. Who, who cries out with Jesus, not my will, but, but your will be done. But our human nature struggles against that, doesn't it? We say, boy, how can I find joy and satisfaction by submitting? 
How can I find joy and contentment by submitting? Charles Spurgeon knew very well of this objection. He answers this way. And what he says, I think, is very challenging. I've read this several times this week, and it just encouraged me so that I couldn't help but share it with you this morning. He says, perhaps you do not see this truth, but if you have ever experienced what it is to lay your whole soul on the altar and feel that for Christ you live and for Christ you would die, why, then you will know by experience that I speak the truth. If your heart's desires were as ravenous as that of a young lion's when they howl for their prey, they would be abundantly satisfied by your souls being tamed into complete submission to the will of God. When your will is God's will, you will have your will. But when your will, uh, when your will rings out in harmony with the will of God, there must be sweet music all around your steps. And then he cautions, our chief sorrows spring from the roots of our selfishness. Hang up self before the face of the sun and your soul will no longer be consumed with the hunger and thirst of discernment. Uh, discontent, I'm sorry. Hang up self before the face of the sun and your soul will no longer be consumed with the hunger and thirst of discontent. We struggle with that, don't we? We're so discontent. We're so dissatisfied. He goes on to say, when you have turned to perfect harmony with God, you begin your heaven upon earth, even though your lot is cast in the hut of poverty or even on the bed of sickness. I know by experience that the way to renew your strength for suffering and for service is to become more and more at one with the will and the purpose of the Most High. As God's glory becomes the one objective of life, we find in Him our all in all. So what should we do? What should we do? Here's what, should, here's what we should do. We should do the work that God has sent us to do. We should do the work that God has commissioned us to do. If you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, then you too are to do the work that He has sent you to do. And that means, that means now. Not later. And Jesus even challenged his disciples with this. Jesus challenged the disciples that there are those who say, in verse 35 we see it, he says, well, there are those who say, well, the harvest is coming in four months. I'll work then. That's the idea here. Look at verse 35. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that the harvest of souls is now. Verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? It's like the guy who said, well, you know, take it easy. Yeah, I'm not working, but I've got four months. I'll work in four months. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus tells his disciples, look, the harvest for souls is now. Some may say, and we hear this at times, some say, well, I'm not sure I know what I should do. I'm not sure I know my spiritual gift. Well, the best way to discover your spiritual gifting, I think, is to serve. The best way to find out how God wants you to serve is to start serving. Start doing the work. Don't wait to discover the work that God has for you. Don't wait to discover the gifting which He's gifted you. Don't wait. Serve now. And I say that soon enough, you and others will recognize your spiritual gifts. 
I've heard it from so many people. I've discovered through the years what it is that God has gifted me to do. Well, how did you do that? Well, I started doing something and, and I just, and I just took to it. It, it was, it was what I loved to do. And people said, you're, you're good at that. And God has blessed you in that. I've talked to other people who said, I started doing this thing and I realized that wasn't me. And so I switched to something else and I found that was me. How do you find out what your spiritual gift is if you're not serving? You're not going to. You need to serve. You need to do the work now. If you never start serving for God's glory, then you're never going to know the joy of serving for the sake of the Gospel and you'll know nothing of the spiritual food that Jesus enjoyed if you're not serving. Serve and serve now. Serve where you are and you'll find the Lord's joy and satisfaction for your soul. Jesus says in verse 38, look at it, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I think the idea is this. Work where you are. (laughs) Work where God has put you. You may certainly be the one who sows the seed and doesn't witness the harvest. Or you may be the one who takes part in the harvest, though you didn't sow the seed. Don't be too concerned with where you serve, but do serve where you are. Don't get too caught up in, am I in the right place? Listen, God wants you to serve where you are right now. And your service is to be for God's glory, for making the gospel clear to sinners' eyes who need a Savior, who need to see the gospel clearly, who need to hear the gospel clearly, and they need to see it through your life and mine clearly. I challenge and encourage you this morning that you are God's worker if you're God's child, so work now. There's no need to wait for the perfect time there, the, per, the perfect time is now. Right? The perfect time is now. The harvest of souls is now. So whatever the work that God has given you to do, do it with joy. and Do it in the service of your Lord. Do it in the service of your Master Jesus Christ. And your soul will be enriched. Your soul will be fed with spiritual food. The woman at the well needed to know that she... She'd find no true fulfillment in this life apart from the living water. And I tell you that that once the living water of the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, you're going to experience the true fulfillment and joy this side of heaven only as you serve your Savior doing the work for which He has sent you to do. Serve Him now. The harvest of souls is now. And we're to do all for God's glory as we learn in 1 Corinthians 10.31. You know the passage, right? Whatever you do, do it all. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, says 1 Corinthians 10.31, right? So do all your work for the glory of God. And let me encourage you with this. What could possibly be more conducive to your joy than to realize that there is a reward that awaits the faithful worker of the Gospel? Jesus pointed to it. Let me point to it. Verse 36, right? Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. What could be more conducive to your joy than to understand that there is an eternal reward that awaits the faithful worker of the Gospel? Jesus pointed to the rejoicing of the sower, the rejoicing of the reaper, and the receiving of wages at the gathering of the fruit for eternal life in verse 36 there. Boy, I tell you, when God's people see all their relationships, when God's people see all of their 
their uh, work, see all of their um, conversations, all of even even all their trials, even all of their struggles, even the conflicts they face. When God's people begin to see all of life as an opportunity to do the work that God has sent them to do for God's glory, then then God's people will be spiritually nourished when they share the love of Christ through the way that they do their work, through the way they carry on conversations, through the way they interact with their neighbors, through the way that they do business. How important that God's people see everything, every facet of life as an opportunity to do the work that God has sent them to do for His glory. And when you do, your soul will be satisfied with spiritual food that you never knew of before. If you can, and we just, I pointed to it earlier, we just finished this week of vacation Bible school. If you can, think of all the different kinds of work that took place in serving the 53 children that came here this past week to hear the gospel. Think of all the work that took place. Some of you know more closely at hand how how much work it took to put things together and to take things down and put them back. Think about all the work that took place in serving those children who came here last week for Vacation Bible School. It was a wonderful week, and there were many, many workers. It took more than 30 people to do all the work that had to be done. Some of those people did more work than others. That's just the way it is. Some worked harder than others. Some did more work than others. That's okay. I'm here to tell you that there's no little work when it's done for God's glory. There is no little work. There is no small work when it's done for God's glory. And it's not work done for your own satisfaction that refreshes the soul. It's not work that's done for your own glory that nourishes your soul. It's work that's done for God's glory because God has commissioned you to do His work in seeking out lost souls. And when you do His work that He has commissioned you to do, and you do it for His glory, that His name might be magnified, that He might be glorified, that people would hear of the of the love of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice He made for their sins. When you do it for His glory, that work nourishes. That work refreshes your soul. I challenge and encourage you to enjoy the spiritual food that Jesus enjoyed as He shared living water with a needy soul. That's our job now. That's our task. We're representatives of Jesus Christ in this life and He has given us life and breath and day after day to share the love of Christ with others and you will be spiritually nourished, spiritually refreshed as you faithfully obey and serve your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for His glory. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads and hearts before You this morning, we praise You once again for the wonderful truths of Scriptures and, and the love of Christ made so plain to us and how we're reminded of how Your Son, Jesus Christ, longed to see sinners saved, how He came to seek and to save the lost. So God, I pray that You would help this Help this to be our heart's passion also to seek and to save the lost, to send the lost to Christ, to bring them to Christ, to show them Christ, to make Christ clear and the gospel clear. God, I pray, nourish our souls with this kind of spiritual food that we might be eternally satisfied 
in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.